everybody, it is I, Ryan, um, host of DM Told Me To, and um, I wanted to give this week's update on things that have been happening behind the scenes for me and putting this together. It's going to be a little late, I'm sorry, uh, I had a busy week, but nonetheless, we have a pretty interesting update here for you guys, um, so hopefully you guys enjoy it. Alright, so let's get started. So, so I've done a lot of changes and switches up with this, uh, this here. My little notes pop up here quick. Alright, so. Made a lot of different changes here. So, like as always, um, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see the full thing. Um, I understand that uh, last week or the week before last, there were some problems getting it updated. Um, I'm trying to work on it. I don't know if people know much about Roll20, but I'll show you quick. Um, for some reason, it just isn't processing my PDF to load at all. So I'm going to have to maybe contact them and figure out what's going on, or maybe have to copy and paste everything I've done into a new document. That might have to be the case, which just copying and pasting is probably not the worst, right? Um, but we'll have, to, I'll have to figure out what's going on because I can't get the PDF up, but I can get the website to work. So the link down below here should have the uh, way that brings you to GM Binder to then allow you to click and download it. For some reason, I, it's not processing it as a PDF, and I don't know why. So if anybody knows GM Binder, knows somebody in your playgroups at home that maybe knows, that maybe wants to send me a uh, DM on Discord or something just to help me kind of figure out what's going on, because I, I, it's been processing a PDF for now a few days, so I can't figure out how to make it stop or restart it or anything. Anywho, uh, we're here for the update, right? So I moved a lot of things around here in this update. So, I first, uh, I'll show you the title here, go scroll down, introductory note. I need your guys' opinion on the layout, okay? With the way that I had the layout before, I had, and I'll show you what I mean in a second. So as you scroll down, look through the playbook here, right? And you guys can click the link down below and follow along as I'm talking about it. Maybe the best plan, right? We have creating an Auromancer, we have the table, we have all that stuff, Auromancer license, starting RO disc, starting deck, cardbinder, etc. Oh, I also changed a lot of stuff within that table. So um, I moved the, the biggest thing was that I went and I moved the, um, oh, what was it? Class Path Awakenings, um, around so class path awakenings now i made five instead of four because it used to be just six level it used to be at levels six ten fourteen and eighteen you'd get your special skill in your class path and i was like i feel like that's just it, it takes forever right think about when you play DD if you play at home just think about how long it takes your characters if you start at level one to actually make it to level six and i was like up until that point, there's really no difference in the characters besides them being able to cast certain spells of your schools with benefits or um, casting spells outside of your schools with either neutral, no benefit, no gain, or at a penalty, right? If it's not within your class path. The heads up, this, this video will be, or this uh, episode will totally be about the class paths. I've broken them down. I think I got all their special abilities adjusted. I made starter decks for each of them. So that's the biggest thing here with this that took a lot of time this week. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. Uh, anyway, so back to the table, right? So if you look at the table here, the I moved, like I said, so now there's an addition. There's now five slots for you to, you get five special abilities in your class path now as you play this game instead of four, which I think is pretty cool. It makes more uniqueness. Um, and I moved the external summons up to first level. 
So the link that you're going to see in the d description down below is going to change, right? So what, what happens with Roll20 is you can get a link to different versions. The, the same link that I have to use because I can't get a PDF of it for some reason is always going to update. If you have a friend that goes and watches the episode one of this series, that PDF or that link is going to be probably this updated link because there's no way that I've been able to figure out how to get it unless I do an older PDF link. And because the PDFs aren't working for some reason, I can't get it. So um, if you're watching episode, like if you have a friend and you recommend watch episode one of this series, which I totally think you should because I want to build hype for this to get this going because this is really cool. Um, that, I don't know ahead of time, hey, the link in the description probably won't match what he's talking about in the video or on the podcast. So anyway, this is the new updated stuff, like I said. So I moved external summons to first level and, he and here's why, right? It used to just be, okay, first level, you discover your class path. Okay, I'm now a power, I'm now a power auromancer or a mystic auromancer or a celestial auromancer. But what does that mean? Okay, I can use certain spells. Cool. Great. Um, and then that was like it, right? I mean, it's kind of like the introduction thing and you get all the items for starting, you get all the stuff at starting, you get your starter deck, etc. but you don't actually get any special class stuff till level six. And that's where I was kind of like that. That's a huge jump. So I moved external summons from second level to first. So right out of the gate, you can summon a creature um, outside a battle there. Uh, you have learned the power to be able to summon any creature from your deck to aid you outside of battle for one hour until they return to your deck. They cannot be summoned again outside of battle until after a long rest. So you can still use them in battle just fine if it's a creature that's not mystic and those are something we'll get to way later videos. But nonetheless, right? So like I gave the example before, you're traveling in your group and you're on your caravan and you're heading towards this evil witch's lair that this like evil witch that's popped up in the backwoods that's been causing problems for local farmers, right? And on your travels, as you're traveling, all of a sudden, oh, one of the horses that we were carrying got bit by a rattles, got bit by a snake, maybe stepped on like a rock and it twisted its ankle. So now the horse can't move, but your power aromancer, and you'll see that later on, oh, we're only about an hour away. I, I know, I'll just summon one of my riding horses to help us pull our caravan. And boom, right? Um, you're set. So that's a cool implementation there. I think starting that at level one gets, gives players the feel of, and like I said, right, this game takes the collaboration of all the popular ideas in media. It takes a little bit of ideas from this, a little bit of ideas from that. I mean, nothing's copyrighted, obviously, but like, you know, little ideas. So it's like, I've taken like the idea of having creatures out in the form of like, your Pokemon, right? Take a card collection aspect of Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic together, put them into here. So this is like a whole shebang of all different fantasy ideas and games, but it is just D&D, right? So that's where it gets cool. Anyway, like I said, I moved that up and I... So now there's five slots for Class Path Awakening. So as soon as you reach level two, then you get the special Class Path first bonus of being in your school. And most of those are deck building buffs and you'll see that in a second so that way you can help shape the rest of your class building to think okay i should look for creatures of this element tell that later okay so just want to talk about that first now after you scroll down you're going to see a lot of different stuff so i used to have it where after this described this first page or this is this uh, page two right the creating an aromancer the first substance of the book right um i then had it be following everything broken down from that table besides class paths next was the old way so you could see okay what will i get at okay 11th level of call of the aura what's that i'll look right below the table in that description and there they are and some players and i've looked in different D, &D books right 
some of them talk about all the bonuses every Oromancer will get, and then we'll do like a thing like class paths and break down what each one is, etc. Um, if people like that better, I can try to shift stuff around. It's just this way looked the best on mobile and looked the best on other ways to fit everything nicely on a page without it bleeding over to the next, without having blank spaces. So if people like the idea of having me do all of the general stuff that every Oromancer gets first and then go into class paths, please let me know down in the description so I can work on try to change that or DM me on Discord, talk about it on the Discord Oromancer. Uh, tab that we've been going on um, in the DM told me to discord also down below if you want to join to talk about that and so I've changed it instead to be Provide because this is in my mind kind of think how it should work and looks a little cleaner this way too to an extent, right? So I, I put information in Depending on which what levels you unlock that feature because I feel if you want to be able to see for example, oh Key card, that's third level. So I'm going to have to look beyond all the class path information because according to the table, key card comes third. Right? So, because your class path discovery is what's first. So I feel like you should be able to discover and look at all the different makings of different types of armancers you can be and then look beyond that to see the information. I'll show you guys that later. Um, okay. Without further ado, let's get to the nitty gritty, the new stuff. Um, yeah. So. Enhanced backgrounds, nothing with that changed. It's now on the left side of the of the page of page three now. I shifted that over to the left side and I was able to fit pack collector below that. So all the enhanced backgrounds is its own column. All nicey nice there. So when but excuse me, when you make your characters, you then can look at the next page and see, okay, what type of background do I want? Do I want to be a guild artisan? So my I have a deck bonus with constructs. Do I want to be a nurse and I have a deck bonus with Faye? Do I perhaps want to be a student and a Sorry, I'm not a student. A uh, where's the one? A uh, pack collector and have a rare as my bonus. I'm playing with rare creatures, right? As opposed to uncommon, uncommon creatures. So you might not get your bonus early because you probably don't have very many rares early. But as the game goes, you'll probably collect a lot of rares and you'll have a huge benefit later. Anyway, um, so all that's there. Class path discovery, external summons. So right, so if you look at the table, if you look at the table. First level, you get external summons and class path discovery. So naturally, after the enhanced backgrounds for you building your character. And have the part where it says external summons where it talks about you being able to summon a creature for an hour then class path discovery and then i've updated class path awakening now to say at levels 2 6 10 14 and 18 so one two three four five times in your oromancer uh, table you will awaken a new skill in your chosen class path that sets you apart from the others this skill helps further enhance your type of play and may strengthen certain deck builds as well so let's get into it right we looked at power a little bit last time, but I've now focused and made, and I, and I think solidified, I, if any of these, fair warning, as you get a higher, becoming a higher level Oromancer, you're going to become more broken, more godlike, like you would in D&D, right? So uh, keep that in mind. Obviously, this is, <sighs> is going to be a lot of playtesting coming up. So I have, two, I have at least two people that have reached out to me saying that their playgroups like to playtest. Please, if you are at home and you want to try this when this releases big and be one of my playtesters and potentially come on and give me feedback on how the game works and we may be doing episodes just with us talking about feedback and stuff, that'd be awesome, you know, because I feel like that'd be really cool. Um, and I look forward to that and your name will definitely be in like the credits as a thank you and your name will be all that stuff. So, yes, um, if you want to playtest with your playgroups at home, even leave a comment on the on the, either the video if you're watching on YouTube, on, if you leave a comment on iTunes or Podbean or what have you. Just so that I know and I can help try to establish people to play test because 
I'm going to need playtesters to make this balance, you know? Anyway, let's get into it. So, power class path. We talked about this a bit last time. Going down the class path of power allows you to dominate over your foes through the use of pure damage to be able to knock out their Oromon faster than any other class. This will... Oh, this playstyle is good for players that like to hit things very hard, right? So, and quite successfully. Choosing this pathway allows you to add your proficiency bonus to hit on power spells while also allowing you to use celestial spells normally with no buff applied. Due to being so power focused, there is no time to learn mystic spells and you subtract your proficiency involving the use of mystic spells. What that means, right? When you cast a spell, usually if it's a spell attack, if it's something like if it's, if it's a spell attack, right? You'll add your proficiency, you'll add your bonus of that type, you'll add etc. If it's a power spell and you do it for damage, like a spell attack, because power is about dealing damage, right? You can add your proficiency bonus, and as you play the game, your proficiency bonus grows larger, and thus you hit harder with them. But, on that same notion, you try to cast a mystic spell when you're in the power class path, will cause you to instead have to subtract greater, because you're straying further away from that path, right? Picture almost like a three-pronged tree, if you will, right? Or like a triangle with like one point in the middle and each one coming out of the sides. You grow more in one end, but by you growing in one end, you then have the other one being neutral, but the other one's a lot further away. So while you're enhancing your power skills, you're also neglecting your use of mystics through time and thus having a greater penalty. So this class path's awakenings are Haste of Power, Language of Power, Eyes of Exposure, Critical Strike, and then your last skill, Pure Power. We'll go into the power starting deck here for a second. I'm just going to move some things quick on my end. Okay, I got a new mic set up for uh, my birthday, so really liking it, really taking it in. I think it looks great. Um, but anywho, let me also do this. Yeah. That. Okay, so. Power class path, like I was saying. We now get into the power star deck. I'm just going to do. I didn't do what I wanted to do. There it is. Okay, I just want to make it full screen so that those on YouTube can see it a lot better. Okay. Anyway. Power starting deck. Your deck of cards consists of... I've done, I've done a lot of editing with this because I decided to give power a special, uh, special little um, adjustment here, if you will. So, your power starting deck. Um, so when you're playing the game, and as far as I've been working on game mechanics as a separate sheet, that's not going to be this video, unfortunately, because people are like, how do I fight? How do I play? That's coming. I just wanted to get the classes established first so that you could use those to base off of how to actually fight, right? Because if I say, oh, you're this and you're fighting with this, that's not going to make much sense if you don't know what your class you're playing as. So your starting deck of 10 cards, one through 10, right? Um, the way my layout that I did was to start creatures off in this was I gave everybody a few uh, creatures at challenge rating zero, a few at challenge rating one eighth, and one at a challenge rating quarter. And my, my idea for how I want to shape the creatures in this game, um, and let me know in the description or comments again if this is something that you think is a good idea. I'm still trying to focus on the idea. There's different tiers of levels of play in Dungeons and Dragons, right? You have zero through four, which are like, oh, new heroes in town. Then there's like five through ten, etc. So I was thinking of taking creatures of respective challenge ratings that fall to appear during those tiers of play 
giving each of those creatures their own standings of common, uncommon, epic, etc. for how that they look as far as those terms of levels of play. For, for example, a and end game play, right? If you look at a creature in D&D such as the Kraken, okay? Doesn't have legendary resistance, doesn't have this stuff, but its challenge rating is really high and you, would, you could see it as an end game level of play creature but because it's not actually as as, real as as tough as other creatures of those challenge ratings, it might not be a mystic level creature or even an epic. It might be a rare or what have you at that time. Now, those shouldn't change, meaning if something was an uncommon at the beginning level of play, it shouldn't become a common or less later on. But using it for the purposes of unlocking creatures to either A, appear in your worlds, or B, to get different card packs released in the shops based on your level or tier of play in the game if that makes sense so that way level one players if they don't save up tons of money if they won at the lottery one maybe one doing arm wrestling in the bar every night or something i don't know to accrue a lot of money that way that they can't buy a super high level pack that for meant for like level 14 like like the third tier play you know level of players to then have it be a really OP pack that they can't... So, for example, right? Just Google it quick. Levels 1 through 4 is like the first tier, right? So, the third tier being levels 11 through 16. If you save up enough money and you're able to buy a pack of level to, of third tier play, you're probably going to see a lot of OP creatures in it compared to the beginning. And then that way, there's some pack balance, right? Because you don't want... I mean, this is for DMs and for players, I'm sorry, but, you know, for DMs, ultimately, right? You don't want your players there casting summoning high level creatures like in a, like a adult uh red dragon to attack with well dragons aren't even the best in dnd i know i know um but nonetheless against your first level encounter that you made for them to fight boars out in the woods and they're here summoning adult dragons to breathe fire and obviously so with that being in mind these starting power decks are based on the the uh first level tier of, of play right the the new the the starting heroes the local heroes that's it the local heroes for tiers levels one through four of D. so as you as a, as a hero will progress you'll unlock the next levels of packs that you could buy and in addition to the old ones because you want to collect duplicates to combine the same cards to fuse them to make them stronger etc so it'll just unlock maybe the next like shipment or the next updated version of packs i think that's kind of how i want to do it Instead of making every creature ever in D&D be accessible at any point, depending on if you roll high enough on a pack to get a Mystic or Legendary as the rare drop, and, or the, the top tier drop, right? If you roll like a 98 on your D100 open the pack, it's like, oh my gosh, I got a Mind Flayer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm just starting. No. That way there's some balance in the economy of buying packs and not having access to super strong creatures right out of the gate. Anywho, now that that's explained, I can get into the... And the actual nitty gritty of what I got going on here for the for the power for the starting decks. So again, as a as a heads up, like I was saying, the starter decks consist of four challenge rating zero creatures, three challenge rating one eighth creatures, and one challenge rating uh, quarter creatures. And you're like, those sound so small. But if they're all like this in the world, right? In the beginning of the world, you're probably gonna run into different challenge rating things, and you kind of want them for DMs, right? You kind of want your creatures in the world to be a little tougher than your players' creatures, because ultimately it's gonna be your players summoning three to six creatures if they take two creatures to have their disc run out of power right you want to be able to have your creatures you throw at them throw some sort of challenge if you will especially if it's a boss right so anywho anywho 
So the power starting deck uh, for power people, I got Badger is in the first slot. So this is the D10 table. So I'm going to go right down the list of numbers. And then obviously, if you can see my screen, you can see it. Um, but anywho, power starting deck, right? So we're going to start here with the first one being Badger, second one being Giant Fire Beetle, third one being Crawling Claw, fourth one is the Vulture, fifth is Giant Crab, um, which I actually think I have to change Giant Crab now that I think about it. Giant Crab, oh no, Giant Crab is one eighth, we're fine. One, two, three, four, yeah, I have to actually change Giant, no, we're okay, yeah. Giant crab is 1-8, that's what I did, because I, I got rid of basic crab because I want to have giant crab. Most, if not all, of these creatures that I said here are going to have an evolution. So that's something where I've been working on my side of, in the background, doing creatures, doing organizing the spells into each class to see what I think is appropriate for each class to have. So I've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. So I'm also sorry that this episode's a little bit later than usual, but anywho. So Badger at 1, Giant Fire Beetle 2, Crawling Claw at 3. Vulture at 4, Giant Crab at 5, Mastiff at 6, Mule at 7, Troglodyte at 8. Uh, Troglodyte being your strongest card, right? Your one-fourth card, and people are like, why Troglodyte? Um, and then your spells being Chill Touch and a True Strike. So I feel like that that, that encompasses the, the idea of a, of a power class, right? You want to have those like stronger creatures that, that deal attacks, that have some oomph to them. While also having spells that can buff your creature's abilities, like True Strike, or just be able to deal flat-out damage like Chill Touch. Now getting into the Class Path Awakenings, the news that we're here for, etc. I do want to read quick Troglodyte for those, for those at home there. So, Troglodyte, if you're like, why is that the ace monster? Like, not the ace monster, but why is that like the starting monster I chose to have it be? So, Troglodytes are special in regards to how that they function, at least compared to, I think, other quarter-level creatures that help solidify the idea of power class. And here's why. I'm just getting it quick in my book here. Troglodyte. Okay. It has multi-attack. So, I feel like that is a, is a key pinnacle piece to the power class, right? You want to have creatures that hit often, hit harder. Important thing to note, its strength is 14, and that's going to be pertinent in a second. So it also has a stench ability, which any other creature that starts its turn within 5 feet of the troglodyte must succeed on a DC 12 con, must succeed in a DC 12 con saving throw, um, or be poisoned until the start of the creature next turn on a successful save throw. The creature is immune to the stench, etc. It is disadvantage on attack rolls while it's in the sun, so there's a little bit of downside there, but its attack power, even if it has disadvantage, it makes three attacks, one with its bite and two with its claws. You're attacking three times with this guy, despite being in the sunlight having disadvantage in your starting deck, right? So that's already crazy, despite having disadvantage. And each attack, while it does only deal each attack dealing 1d4 plus 2 uh, slashing or piercing damage, respectfully, depending if you're biting or clawing, that's still three attacks. So... And like I said, all this stuff's going to be playtesting. It might all be updated later, but for now, I think it's looking pretty good. So now we're going to get into the Class Path Awakenings for power. First one, Taste of Power. At level 2, you've been able to get the slightest taste from the Auroron what it means to possess power. Your Auroron recognizes this ability as an Auromancer of power and as such are pushing themselves beyond their normal limits for you. Your Auroron of Strength Score 13 and higher get a plus 1 to hit on each of their attacks. Your troglodyte that hit, gets a plus four to hit now has a plus five for each of its attacks. 
Um, in addition to that, I believe if I remember picking correctly, going back to the back of the book quick. The, let me see, we've got Mule and Mastiff, right? Let me see if I did this right. So, the strength score of 13 or higher. So that kind of helps shape how you want your deck to function, right? So Mastiff has a strength of 13. So the Mastiff, when it does its attacks, will get a plus one. And Mastiffs also can help make creatures be knocked prone to help you. And I thought I had Mule here. I can't hear it. I thought I did. Uh, let me see. Mule, I believe, I also picked it as well because of its strength. So I try to throw in some some starting cards that help with your with your uh, first level two power in case in case if you're going out exploring. Yeah, there's Mule has a strength of fourteen. Okay, yeah. So that way, in case if you're out and you have and you haven't had a chance to buy packs, you don't have a way to start the game yet. We're collecting new cards, and you've reached level two while you're out on your adventure. You then get the benefit, a little bit of benefit, right? Of having plus one to your attacks with creatures with a high strength score. So, right, having taste of power means okay. I maybe want to build my deck around having hard-hitting creatures that have a, a a plus benefit to strength to get that additional benefit off. Simply taste the power, right? Creatures with strength 13 or higher, plus one to hit. All right, playing the game now as you're leveling up, you now reach sixth level. You now, have, as as sixth level, have gone has gotten additional deck slots at that point, right? At fifth level, you've had your enhancement, which is taking. A little refresher, right? If you get enhancement, you can either give one of your cards a feat one time uh, per card. Like, so that one creature could get a feat. Um, you could get a feat yourself, or you could get ability score improvement. Um, you have your key card, which same from last time. Remember, you can pick one card to represent your deck, and that guy can always be out longer than the average hour. Pretty cool. Maybe it's your Troglodyte. Maybe you just got your little buddy here. So a little picture so people can see, but... You got your little buddy, the troglodyte, you know? He's always out next to you, walking with you. He's a uh, medium humanoid, after all, so... You know, to walk along with you on your pathway. He becomes your best bro. He's your key card. I don't know. You know, just different ideas. So the adventure group's traveling around with the creatures that they have, and... Yeah. You're exploring around level 6. At level 6, with you being a young Auromancer of the Power Path, the Aura has bestowed you with speaking of the Ancients of Power. You may... You may with speaking a battle chant once per short rest. Pretty cool, so you don't have to take a long rest to use this ability. Cause your Oromon to roll two additional damage die on one of their successful hits on a target. So you roll to hit something, you notice that it hits, your character chants this battle chant, and as thus, your creature can roll two additional damage dice. Pretty cool, right? And that scales. Obviously, you have creatures that you control that hit for D10s, that's potentially 20 more damage once per short rest you could do to that creature one time right so and it's when you all successfully hit on target so you don't have because my biggest pet peeve with uh, dungeons and dragons to an extent is having an using an ability and then not having it pay off or be that big that's why i homebrew rules that's why i um homebrew make the potions always heal for their max instead of rolling and have you only healing two hit points versus 20 you know what i mean um so if you've seen the homebrew video for DM told me to, um, you you know what I mean about home homebrew. It's where we talk about how to enhance your gameplay with some little mechanics to make it a little better and more more feeling of a role playing game to an extent. Um, so with that being said, successful hit on a target, two additional damage types. So for your troglodyte, instead of dealing one d four plus two piercing, you could have it roll three d four plus two piercing. Right, so increase that chance of hitting for more. Pretty cool. 
Uh, at 10th level, you unlock the ability Eyes of Exposure. At level 10, you unlock the ability to channel the Oru into your eyes, giving them a red aura, exposing your enemy's strengths. You may once per short rest spend your action while you have an Oromon out to expose the Oromon you were fighting. So you have to be engaged in a fight. This is a specific thing. Again, like language of... I mean, technically language of power isn't a... You do a battle champ, but I guess that could be doing something to the environment, right? You um, Throw two additional damage down when there's... Yeah, so if you're trying to like knock down a tree maybe and you have a really strong creature and you use your language of power, then they have two additional more dice that they're rolling to knock down a tree. Sure. But Eyes of Exposure is when you're currently engaged in a duel or a battle, either the wild creature or another Oromancer. So Eyes of Exposure. At level 10, you unlock the ability to channel the aura right into your eyes, giving them a red aura, giving them a red aura around them so your eyes are glowing red and exposes your enemy's strengths to you. This one was interesting to make, so. You may once per short rest spend your action while you have an Oromon out to expose the Oromon you are fighting. So you're using your eyes, right? You're glowing, you're analyzing and taking note of the enemy creature you're fighting. The exposure is told from your dungeon master to let you know the enemy Oromon's damage immunities, the damage resistances, and condition immunities. This allows you to harness their strengths to help you and your team be able to damage the enemy for sure. So, what that means, right? For example, I'm fighting, let's see if I can find something that has that that's relatively early. Uh, let me see, I just want like something a little iconic, you know. Um, something with these, uh, with these effects, because these effects ultimately don't come to later anyway, that's why that they're 10th level spells, but... Alright, Gelinus Cube is the first thing I flip to, we'll use that, right? Let's say you, you use your eyes of exposure, eyes are glowing red, you're analyzing, taking note of all the different... Um, pinpoints that are on the gelatinous cube that's in front of your group as it's flopping its way towards you down the hallway. Condition immunity. It can't be blind, it can't be charmed, it can't be deafened, it can't be exhaustion, it can't be frightened, or it can't be knocked prone. I mean, obviously it's a cube, so most of these things won't apply. But now you know that. So, for example, your mastiff that's out, your dog, that can knock something prone, won't be able to do that to this gelatinous cube. So, you're then like, okay. Um, I guess I have to uh, switch out my Oromon, do what I have to do so that I don't, I can actually not, and hit this thing and deal it for actual damage. Now, it doesn't, there's a lot of different abilities in Dungeons and Dragons, right? So, for example, with the Troglodyte, I didn't want to make it be that you can see their weakness because there's far too many and then that exposes to, well, what's the weakness, what's the creature's ability, etc. So, I just wanted to do it as, what does this creature have that makes it strong? that you're able to pick up on so that that way you don't waste your turn doing something that they're immune to, right? So, okay, skeleton, perfect. Damage vulnerability, damage immunities, condition immunities, senses. Um, so you'll be able to know the damage immunities, damage resistance, and condition immunities. So it's immune to poison. So you already know if you're using a snake or something that does poison, you're not gonna be able to poison the skeleton. It's also immune to being exhaustion, exhaustion or poisoned, obviously. So you can't exhaust this creature if you're using a psychic spell, or you can't poison if you're using rattlesnakes. But now you know that as the creator. So you can say to your buddy who's a mystic guy, like, hey, switch out your snake for something else because you're not going to be able to poison the skeleton. And then that way it gives the players a little bit of an edge. Because as Dungeon Master, you know what they have. You know the creatures they're using. They don't know anything you're going to throw at them. So at least this way, your players can at least get a little heads up once per short rest on like a, on one creature that they're fighting. 
So if the multiple fight and multiple things are coming at them, they can scan one thing, but they can't scan everything. You know what I mean? There's levels of balance, and you're at 10th level. So, you know. I figure at that point, you're fighting creatures, you're building a deck, you kind of have different creatures that can do different types of damage. So you've taken note of that, and you're kind of like, all right, this thing can't take any piercing. Fine. I will switch out to a creature that's not doing piercing damage. So that's just where that comes in. Uh, yeah. So 14th level, critical strike. So this is where your real power class will start to show, right? At 14th level, you can feel the power of the Oru coursing through your veins. When you cast a power, casting, um, casting through your veins when you cast a power spell. This power is something that mere Oromancers could only dream of as you've almost mastered the art of pure power. Once per day, you may treat a power spell card's damage as if it was a critical. Yep, so... Like I said, this stuff ought to be playtested. But, because a lot of things in this world... If it's a boss monster, I usually assume it itself is going to be an Oromancer and a duelist summoning creatures of its kind to help it fight. So yes, while you can one time make one of your spells damage, it has to be a pure power spell, it has to be a, it has to be a power spell card, so specifically to your class, deal damage as if it was a critical. So your fireball doubles in damage, but that's it, once per day. So, I was originally thinking of doing a prolonged rest, but then I was like, nothing technically stops your players from just taking long rests in between each battle so that your power guy can always come out and just sling a gigantic fireball at the group, at the enemy, and just outright kill it. That's why I felt once per day is a little better. Um, we could talk about that more in the comments descriptions on if we think that critical, or especially on the Discord, right? If we think critical strike might be too OP, but because it's once per day, I think we might be all right. Last thing, pure power. At level 18, you've mastered and have unlocked pure power within the Oru. You can once per long rest, so instead of per day, another thing that you can have per long rest, have you in your aura mind glow a red aura. You feel this red glow as you having truly unlocked not only your potential, but that of your aura mind as well. So this is like the last, the last nugget, right? This is the last thing you get in your power class, level 18, right? Once per long rest, you may bestow your summoned Oromon with the ability to have advantage on all of its attacks for the current fight. So, level 14, you can then deal double damage once per day with a spell. Level 18, right, this is the last tier. So they're all going to have OP things at their last level as a heads up because that's how D&D is, right? Usually scale and power usually get stronger, usually unlock really strong abilities later on in the game. So once per long rest, you may bestow your summoned Oromon with the ability to have advantage on all of its attacks for the current fight. You're going in to fight the boss. You start glowing using your pure power, your creature you've summoned now, advantage on all of its attacks. Then again, this is level 18, right? So at this point in the game, you guys are masters of the world, right? You're level 17 to level 20. You are the tier four, the top types of creatures, master of this world. You're fighting like interdimensional strong creatures that pose a threat to like anybody that you guys justice league however you want to describe it right so your powers all right everybody that's up you know have advantage on all your attacks for this fight really strong so all right so that's the power class right those are your power abilities you'll unlock through the power class so 
Next one, Celestial, the Celestial Class Path. Going down the Class Path of Celestial allows you to keep your creatures alive longer than any other class through the use of healing, defensive, enhancing spells. So you boost your creatures, right? You make them stronger so that they don't die as fast as the other classes. This class path is for players looking to be supportive to Oromon of theirs and teammates. So you, you can cast these spells on your guys, you can cast them on your teammates, Oromons, etc. Choosing this allows you to add your proficiency bonus to the healing your spells heal for. So this is a new mechanic to this game mode, right? In Dungeons and Dragons, usually just you roll the dice, that's how much my healing spell is. You also get to add your proficiency bonus to the amount you heal as well. So what that means, as an example, if I was to look up Cure Wounds here, we're in the spell Cure Wounds. First level evocation, Cure Wounds. A creature you touch regains a number of hit points equal to 1d8 plus your spellcasting ability modifier. This spell has no effect on undead or constructs. So, and this is at higher levels. You can cast it by increasing the d8 for each slot above first level, etc. So, that means that you can add your spellcasting ability modifier and your proficiency to your healing. So you really amplify that role as a healer to try to keep your creatures alive, to outlast your opponents while they're fighting in the battlefield and they're hurt, then you go, on my turn, all right, instead of you casting a spell, or instead of my creature attacking, I'm gonna choose to heal up Dejas's creature, right? Or somebody that you're playing with to heal them so that they don't die. So, yeah. While working in the arts of healing and self-protection, you can cast mystic spells with no proficiency addition or penalty. Flat out, you do the roll, bam, that's it. While working, um, due to focusing on controlling aspects through support, you've neglected your time to focus on the true damage dealing spells and thus subtract your proficiency to the power spells. What this means is you still can cast power spell, you still can cast fireball, which heads up is going to be a power spell card because obviously damage. Um, I, I have to decide to power or mystic, but I'm leaning more towards power because it's more of an iconic, really strong spell, right? So, you can cast Fireball. You just have to subtract your proficiency when it comes to doing things if it's a spell attack. Now, obviously, that's an AoE size different. Let's say you're going to cast uh, Chilling Touch, right? Chill Touch, the spell that they get as being a power. It's for a spell attack roll. You'll subtract the damage from it. If something has a spell attack roll, you'll subtract your proficiency bonus. So you can still use these cards, right? And that's why I wanted to make this clear, right? There's a dragons. A lot of spells can't be used by a lot of classes. So, and this, I wanted to make it be like, you can. There's just a large penalty. And if we play, and we as play testing, right? My players be like, you gotta stop, man. Like some of these combinations are just way too strong for me to even throw at my players, and they're just trouncing everything I throw at them, which is fair. That's something for me to learn and know. We might have to then make it so that you can't use just spells from another class if that's the case, which. That happens. It is what it is. But nonetheless, right? So you'll have your you will have to by focusing on controlling aspects through support, you have neglected your time to focus on true damage dealing spells and thus subtract your proficiency to your power spells. Like I said, you're mainly this class is a is a supportive class. Now while mystic spells do deal damage, and there'll be a few, I think, a celestial class path that'll deal damage. You're more focused on, all right, I got my creatures out. I want to keep them alive. I want to buff them up, give them some benefit to some extent of helping them in some way, but I want to keep them alive. That's your main thing. The class path awakenings for Celestial class path are the first one, the strength of good deeds, blessing of the immortal, spectral armor, 
healing purge and thine holy is thine weapon that's a fun one just like coming up with a name for that one and that's really cool like i said all these things later at 18th level are going to be super strong so the heads up but that's how things are in dnd so celestial starter deck you pick celestial what cards are my deck to start with you got that good goat you got eagle uh my sprout owl now here's where we run into the uh the thing of uh good good creatures and we'll get to this in a second uh your fifth slot is guard that's lawful good in nature for an alignment noble which is lawful good in alignment tribal warrior which is lawful good in alignment and then your boss or your boss your one fourth strongest card is arakakra and then your spells are blade ward and guidance to start so i'm gonna read arakakra quick for those at home that don't happen to know what arakakra stat block, block is and why i picked it i'll explain in a second so arakakra 12 ac hit points of 13 so remember this is so the troglodyte was for the power creatures as arakakra is for uh celestial and of course this is starting you can switch cards out you can do etc but anywho arakakra uh dive attack if the arakakra is flying and dives at least 30 feet straight towards a target and then hits with a melee weapon attack the attack deals an extra 1d6 damage to the target so you get to deal extra damage your actions talon you have a plus four to hit one target 1d4 plus two slashing damage or javelin melee or ranged weapon attack reach of five feet on hit 1d6 plus two piercing what all this means is, um, while you don't have multi-attack like the Troglodyte, you are a, uh, a neutral, are neutral good instead of lawful good like the other ones there. But at second level, using the first ability you unlock, the Strength of Good Deeds, at level two, you begin to connect to the calling of the goodness of being a Celestial Oromancer. Any creature you command with an alignment of chaotic good, neutral good, or lawful good will receive a plus one to their attack rolls. So, I fixed that quick. So, what that means, right? Your Arakakra now at level has plus fives to hit because he's neutral good. And same thing for your guards, nobles, shovel warriors. Keep in mind with Arakakra too, they have a flying speed of 50 feet. So, if you need something to fly up and take a look around camp, fly around quick and come back and make sure there's no enemies around for you to set up camp, you can use Arakakra to do that outside of battle, right? Uh, also, it can fly up in the air, which makes a lot of enemies, unless they have range, not be very good, right? Because they, they won't be able to hit you. And then you could dive down, hit them, and fly back, and etc. So, um, now, as far as races for Guard, Noble, Tribal, Warrior, Lawful, Good, that's something I might leave up to DM's discretion when you play, right? For example, you can play as a human, and then you just summon spectral humans, like, from the aura, which aren't actually humans, but, you know, they take the form of humans as a guard, noble, tribal warrior, etc. Let's say, perhaps, you're like, okay, DM, listen, I know it says to play as humans, but I've been really wanting to play as a hobgoblin. Everyone who plays a hobgoblin, could I do that in this game mode? You can look at them and go, yeah, sure. And then you just take the goblin stats, and then they could summon a goblin guard, a maybe a goblin noble wearing, like, rich clothes, or a goblin tribal warrior that's protecting the camp, you know? And then that could be their their creatures that they summon instead of just the basic humans for the guard noble tribal warrior etc in which case that's fine perhaps even you have special card art that as a dm you can make for your player that you know it's going to be a hobgoblin that wants to make the hobgoblin celestial right so you can make them little different cards that have like a little picture of like maybe like a goblin wearing like a little like i don't want to say business suit but like or old royalty clothing to be the noble right or maybe a little goblin wearing like a little suit of armor for the guard etc it could be a fun little thing so 
I don't want to put the races in with them because ultimately that's up for, I think, DM discretion and for players to do, right? That gives openness for different races to play. While humans prefer, like I said, you could be a different race and play this. I mean, that's not totally locking them out. So what do you get at sixth level, right? Because now you've got your strength of good deeds. You want to lean towards playing creatures that have that, that good nature. Um, and keep in mind too, they could be something that's just like, there are creatures, I believe, that are chaotic good, I'm sure, you know? And this is where I had to decide if I wanted to do good or lawful. Again, via from playtesters, I'll have to ask them and be like, when you played this game with your players, did you happen to notice that they were discovering more good creatures versus lawful? And I think the difference between lawful and just good, right? Demons, a lot of demons, devils, etc. are lawful evil. Which could lean you towards playing as like a corrupted or... Even some dragons are lawful evil, right? I'm just flipping through the book quick. Well, I mean, a few things are neutral or just unaligned or chaotic evil or neutral evil, right? If they're evil creatures, because not many creatures out in the world are, are that good. But then you have things like um, that are lawful good, and then those are fine, or lawful neutral, and then they don't fit in that category. So that's where I might have to decide, after hearing from playtesters, is it better to change that good to a lawful, because not many things are just good in nature, which is true. Um, most things are probably lawful to some extent of being lawful good, lawful evil, or lawful neutral, lawful neutral right? Like, that's a thing. Uh, anyway. I carry on. Uh, Blessing of the Immortal at six levels. So you've now been playing for a bit, you got your few levels, got your spell upgrades, your slot upgrades, can hold more cards, all that. Blessing of the Immortal. At level six, you understand the power of keeping creatures alive and how severe death is. The aura recognizes your knowledge of this ideal and will bestow upon you the power of blessing of the immortal. Once per short rest. In a battle, you may spend an action to give this blessing to any auramon of your choice. Your creature glows a yellow aura to indicate they have the blessing. This blessing will cause the auramon to not die upon reaching zero hit points, but instead will stay alive at one. Once. <laughs> I wanted to put that in there. Um, so. Basically, right, it's like playing as an orc in D&D, right? Because orcs have this class feature that, unless I'm mistaken, let me see here. Oh, that's not what I wanted. Orcs, if I remember correctly, have this feature that allow them to not be knocked down, right? They have this feature called that lets them bring them back at one hit point. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Sorry. Looking it up. I can find it. Anyway. Um, because uh, I've had people play as, I'm pretty sure, orcs. And they've been fine to do so. But like, or half orcs. Half orcs. That's why. Can't find it, I think. Ah. Go away, caps lock. Everything's popping up here. Okay. For the half or class. Tap with the pop-up. Trying to find something. Well, not very helpful, but I think people know what I'm trying to say, right? You get the whole thing where it's, oh, if you die, instead you come back with one health and you're not dead one time. So sure it's called like undying something but i just don't remember it off the top of my top of my head there there we go dnd beyond finally okay 
Anywho. I digress. So basically, yeah, you can give one of your Ormonds the ability to not die one time. Instead of them going to your graveyard or being knocked out and dying, they'll come back with one. Which could be huge. If you're neck-to-neck -neck with dealing with a bad guy and they just do, like, an AoE spell and cause all your... You and your buddy's mons to all get knocked... You and all your buddy's Ormonds get knocked out and go to the graveyard. Yours will then, instead of going there, will come back. One health. And then it's your turn. Right? Because they just did their actions. So now you can go in and punch or hit or do whatever you gotta do. And that gives you that extra survivability just... Just a little bit. So... Relentless Endurance. When you're found it, by the way, for orcs. When you're reduced to zero hit points but not killed outright, you can drop the one hit point instead. You can't use this feature again until you finish a long rest. So, I want to give you guys the power of that, but it's going to be a short rest. So, technically, you could take a rest in between each fight to give that to one of your Omans one time. If that seems too OP, we'll change it, but I think that's fine. Yeah, that's basically it for uh, level 6, Blessing of the Immortal. Level 10, Spectral Armor. Now we get into some of the fun stuff of being a Celestial Class Path in addition to the other stuff. But At level 10, you feel your bond with the healing arts of the Oro cloak your body like a spectral suit of armor. It enhances your healing spell cards with the same protective gift. Once per long rest, you can choose after rolling to heal a target. In addition of healing them, increase their AC by 10% of the numbers rolled on the dice. The thing to remember is, natural 10% um, by, I want to change that from numbers on the dice to total. Let me just fix that quick. For the uh, AC by the number of the total. So, a target, in addition to healing them, increase their AC by 10% of the numbers of the number total. That way, and it says a thing, and then I said right after that, the thing to remember is natural 20s always hit despite the AC of an Auramon, right? So, example, let's say you heal 20 HP heal, it uh, says example, 20 HP heal from a spell will, in addition, increase that Auramon's AC by 2 until the battle ends. So it's like, oh, my guy's hurt, I'm going to heal them 20 health points, and now their AC is increased by 2 by them getting this yellow spectrally armor around them, so... Not only does it heal your creatures, it then makes sure that it enhances the chance of them getting hit again. It will lower the chance of them being hit again. That's it. Right? So your creatures have a higher armor class, which makes it now a lot harder to hit. And that could be pretty impactful, right? You have a creature with an AC of 17. Now that AC becomes a 19 if you heal them 20. So, Healing Purge. At level 14, you have demonstrated your dedication to not only care for your Oromon, but that of your teammates as well. The Aura rewards you with the ability of Healing Purge once during a short rest. You may cause your healing spell to heal twice the amount rolled and then apply, uh, and then apply Spectral Armor. So, you can use this with Spectral Armor, right? That's basically what this is saying. Let me see. You heal twice the amount rolled. And then you may use this. With spectral armor. Right, so. I roll a spell, I kill my guy 40. Now their AC is increased by 4. Good luck trying to kill my thing. Now of course, AC is nice, but you gotta realize about this with, uh, with spells too. Right. 
So a lot of spells don't really rely on AC if it's a, if it's an AOE spell attack. And that's kind of where I feel like all these classes kind of check each other, right? The Celestial class kind of puts in check the power class, right? Because now my, my AC is huge. Good luck trying to hit me with your additional hit dice that you rolled, right? Or, oh, you have a plus thing to hit. Or, oh, you got a... Your thing has advantage. That's nice. But my thing's AC is like 22. So good luck, buddy. That's kind of where the check comes in, right? Um, and then healing purge, obviously you can once per short rest double the healing of your spells. Like, oh my gosh, okay, uh, bam, heal them 30 instead of 15. Pretty cool. Um, and yes, you may use that with spectral armor, but then that's it, right? Because spectral armor is once per short rest. So yeah, you could, you could heal your dude a lot, give them armor, that's that. You're out of juice. But, you're thinking I won't die this fight usually. So, but now if somebody casts an AoE spell that doesn't rely, it relies on just you saving. Then your AC buff doesn't really nothing. So that's the kind of check right there. That's level 14. And then what do you get at level 18? What is this thine holy is thy weapon that Ryan's talking about here? What does that even mean? All right. Thine holy is thine weapon. At level 18, you have mastered the arts of healing and have unlocked using your healing abilities against your enemies. Once per long rest, your body glows a demonic black aura instead of a holy yellow aura when activating this ability. You may cause the use of a healing, presses restoration, right, spell, to instead deal that much damage to an enemy in the form of necrosis or radiant damage. This may be used in conjunction with healing purge as well. So, instead of you healing your guy, or healing your guy 20, let's say you healing purge, and then now you can cause that 20 to be straight damage to an enemy. This may be used in conjunction with healing purge as well, like I said. So now you've doubled that, right? Now your 20 healing now becomes 40 damage. If used in conjunction with spectral armor, it will cause damage to lose health points instead of healing, obviously. In addition to their AC being reduced by 10% of the damage taken. So, 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 so. Uh, instead of you, in addition to dealing them 30 Radiant or Necrosis damage, you now also reduce their hip, their AC by three. So now everybody else has a better chance of hitting them. So we'll have to see. Like I said, this is this is room for playtesting. Make sure it's not super OP. But you gotta look at it this way. That's why I kind of made the spell check on the number of spells you can have in your deck be a thing, right? Because ultimately, a lot of these classes are based on the use of casting spells. To an extent. They all have their little creature buffs here and there, but that's why you have a little few spell slots in your deck so you can hopefully draw those in a fight and do its effect. So, that only is that weapon. In summary, the amount I heal, instead I can deal that damage to my enemy. It's pretty cool. Now, the kicker with that. When you heal your creature, you don't usually make a spell attack to see if it hits. So if you were to have your creature, because ultimately, right, as a caster, unless you have to touch a creature, you'll have to have your Oromon cast the spell. Like, if you're not, you as the player aren't going to run on the battlefield and touch an injured creature. I presumptively assume that's probably not what's going to happen. So instead, you can have your creature run on the battlefield and touch a creature. So if your creature runs on the battlefield and just touches the enemy creature, right, with their hands and go like, Gruh, they can, instead of healing, like they'd heal somebody else, can cause a darkness to form from them to then, you don't have to even roll to hit because you don't roll to touch a creature if you're going to heal them. Instead, you just deal the damage. 
from my understanding of D&D spells in general, um, where was it? Yeah. I think this is from the uh, player's handbook. I'm just going to check for a quick second. One of the high, if you're like, what, what's the max? What is this damage he's talking about? What is the max thing he could do here? Um, just looking at a spell quick, there's a just a higher level spell for, for perspective, right? Yes, okay, so this is going to be a spell in our game. It's called Heal. That's a sixth level spell. Clerics and Druids gets that, but that's not pertinent. Heal will be specifically like a, a celestial card, or celestial spell card, right? Choose a creature that you can see within range. A surge of positive energy washes through the creature, causing it to regain 70 hit points. Spell also ends blindness, deafness, any disease affecting the target. The spell has no effect on construct or undead. That's pertinent, right? Let's say you're fighting like a zombie giant or some sort of giant like uh, Nightwalker. Nightwalker, I'm pretty sure is undead, right? Uh, that wouldn't work on him. So thus, you wouldn't be able to deal them damage. But anything else, let's say you do that with holy. Let's say you do one big grand bam, you've been saving your ability, saving your slot, you're fighting the boss, you come up to it, you're like, all right. I'm at 18th level. I'm going to use all my gas here. We're going to run up to the end, run up to the enemy creature, have my creature, or I'm just going to cast the card and, and have a, instead of a, like, a holy surge, right, it's a surge of dark demonic energy shooting by the ground on the enemy. Deal them, instead of healing them for 70, regain 70 hit points, instead, they'll take 70. Just flat. Let's say you combine that with healing purge. 70 now becomes 140. And if you combine that with Spectral Armor, you've now reduced their AC by 14. So, now at that point in the game, creatures are going to have legendary resistances, they're going to have legendary abilities, going to have stuff to mess with that. Anyway, so I know that sounds like 140 damage that's unpreventable, unrollable, and an AC drop of 14. Then you got to understand, that's it. If you're fighting this this boss that summons creatures to help it fight in battle, that summons these creatures, all right, you maybe knocked out one of their creatures. But at this point, every player has like three to, and this is saying too as DMs, right? You can make your enemies be able to summon four or five creatures. Just because your players are limited to three doesn't mean you have to be as well. So that's just where an example of how strong this could be, right? But after that, you're out of gas. That's it. You did all your tricks. <laughs> so you kind of got to weigh the way that out. Uh, so, yeah. After that, then it's like, alright, then I cast another spell, and it does that, and you only have a few spell slots, right? What was it, level 18? Let's look quick. At level 18, you're gonna have six spell cards in your deck of 30, so your chance of drawing those is one out of five, and that's where the whole deck-building element comes in play, too, where these abilities are nice, but you, you, you might not have a spell always when you need a spell, so that's kind of where that check and balance comes in. That's why I don't want to make it be like, you have all the spells in your deck, you can put as many as you want, because then players could just have 18 spells and two creatures, like, alright, just gonna blow up everything I see where the check comes in. No. That was Mystic. Uh, I'm sorry, the Celestial with its strength of good deeds, giving you buffs to creatures that you attack that have the good, some sort of good alignment. Blessing of the Immortals, keeping your creatures alive at one hit point one time instead of it dying. Spectral Armor, giving AC buffs in addition to healing. Healing Purge, just flat out doubling your health buff because you're a healing supportive class. Might as well have that. 
Thine holy is thine weapon instead of healing. Now you can deal that as flat damage to something. Pretty cool. And all those work in conjunction with each other and all that. Alright, last one for today. I know we've been talking for a bit here, reaching the one hour mark, sort of. Um, Mystic Class Path. So going down the class path of Mystic allows you to completely control your opponents through the use of battlefield AoE spells as well as harnessing the elements of the Oru. This class is designed for players that like to cause chaos on the battlefield for their foes as well as taking out large groups of enemies. So you are the, you're the controlling class. As far as the other classes, like power, that's like, I'm going to make my creature stronger, advantage on hits, strong damage, etc. Celestia goes like, I want to keep my creatures alive and lower your chances of dodging other future attacks. Mystic class path takes all those out the window and is like, alright, chaos, let's go. Here's what that does. Um, by being chaotic in nature, you'll be able to add to proficiency bonus to mystic cards, as well as being able to cast power cards with no benefits or hindrance. But due to your studying elementals, studying element, elements, let's say elements, not elementals, Fix that quick there. Uh, due to your study of elements, not elementals. Elements, there it is, okay. Your study into the elements and battlefield controlling aspects, you've neglected your connection to the way of medicine. As thus, you'll reduce your celestial cards by your proficiency score due to using chemicals as a form of harm. You're the you're the uh, you're the you're the alchemist, right? You're the um, AOE controlling effects like mystic pattern, causing them to fall unconscious, casting sleep. You're the you're the chaotic kind of wildy of the classes, right? You're like, all right. Oh, DM's like, all right, group of these fifteen goblins come running at you guys. You're at a higher level. You're like, all right. Cloud kill, let's go. You just have this moving cloud of like death come rolling across the battlefield towards them. So you're the you're the you're the AoE kind of controller guy, but you can't you can't really heal. Your healing effects are reduced, etc. So you're all in on the power elementals and causing chaos for the enemy. So I uh missed a class path. The class path awakenings are elementary, my dear Watson. Oru spell connection. So you think you can hide. A Mystic's Brain Alteration and a Chemical Genius. Let's get into what that means in a second after I describe their starting deck. So, Mystic's starting deck. You get Awakened Shrub, Scorpion, Homunculus, Spider. Uh, then we go from the zeros right up to the, uh, to the uh, one-eighths. Plump, Disease Giant Rat. Specifically, not Giant Rat, but specifically Disease Giant Rat. In the player's handbook, you have to look at the little notion below Giant Rat to read about what it does. Poisonous Snake and your Ace Steam Method. Your spells are Acid Splash and Minor Illusion. But keep in mind, you can cast these spells inside of battle too on your things. So that's where you'll have some utility for outside of battle. And I'm going to check something quick for the Flump because I thought for a second. Yeah, Flump is 1-8. We're fine. For a second, I was like, is that a quarter? No. I understand. I've been looking at these creatures for a while. So, I'm uh, looking at it a lot. Alright, uh, I wanted to tell you quickly, Steam Method. That's what I was going to explain quickly, because I've been explaining each of these decks' ace monsters to you as players, so. Steam Method. What does that mean, Ryan? Okay, so I looked at all the methods. Because um, you're an elemental class, I was like, what is one that can give you the best kind of bang for your buck at, at a half level? Right. And I decided to end up going with Steam, and here's why. So, 
AC of 10, hit powers of 20, or uh, hit points of 21. Death Burst. When the Mephit dies, it explodes in a cloud of steam. Each creature within 5 feet of the Mephit must succeed on a DC 10 deck saving throw or take 1d8 fire damage. So it's you're like, alright, here's my ace. My ace dies, like my strongest part of my deck when you start, right? It's like, alright, if that dies, bam, now it explodes and deals fire damage. Um, you can cast Blur. You initiate spellcasting, so your creature on its action on its turn can cast Blur, requiring no material components. So you cast Blur, and then make your method hard to hit. Your attacks are Claw, which is just one uh, d attack one creature and one d four slashing plus one d four fire damage. So you have that little bit of elemental damage in there. And you have the really Steam Breath. So while the uh, power car power uh, deck is all about multi attacking, hitting harder. Celestial stuff, the Arcocker's about flying up in the air, dodging hits, flying back down, dealing damage, because it's neutral, it's a uh, neutral good there. Your steam method has steam breath with a recharge of six. The method ex exhales a 15-foot cone of scalding steam. Each creature in the area must succeed on a DC 10 deck saving throw, taking 1d8 fire damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. So there's your first, right? Your creature deals the AoE, that's what you're about, that's what your class identity is. You have you two or three goblins come running at you, your method flies in front, does the steam breath, lights them on fire. Fun, right uh yeah so i picked that because i was like you know elemental creature it itself is a small elemental right and so thus it can deal elemental damage and you'll get the benefits for that when we go into elementary my dear watson your first tab like your first element buff at level two right so we notice with level two with this with the uh, power class level two creatures if they have strength of 13 or higher they get a benefit celestials if they have this um Celestials, if they have the lawful good nature, trying to dive into different elements of creatures besides just the whole, if it's this type of creature, it gets this benefit, right? Trying to do, encompass more openings, saying anything that's lawful good or anything with a good nature get a benefit. Anything with a strength of 13, power gets benefit. So for elementary, at level 2, you developed the basic arts of elemental damage and diseases. Any creature under your command that deals elemental damage or causes a disease with an attack, get an additional plus 1 to hitting with those attacks. As well as enemies getting a minus one to saves against being hit by elemental damage from your creatures. I'm going to change that from your creatures to saying from your Oromon. Give me a second because I had to go through and type some quick. So, Oromon. So, example, Steam Effort. You do that Steam Breath. They need a DC 10 saving throw. Well, that's an elemental attack that causes elemental damage. So, they're going to get a minus one to their save, whichever that is. So now if they're at that below that 10 mark, they're going to take that fire damage. As well as this claw attack being on only plus 2 to hit. A lot weaker than the other creatures. But because it's weaker because it deals slashing damage and fire damage, now you get an additional plus 1 to hit with those attacks. Now your claw attack is a plus 3. A little better, right? This is at level 2. So. And I had to keep these in mind, uh, like I said before, with being at level 2, you might not even have unlocked new cards to switch out for all ones in your deck. So... And some of those creatures in your starting deck have elemental damage, right? You got the scorpion that deals poison, disease giant rat. Get to that. You know what? I'll probably just tell you what disease giant rat is because I didn't know myself. Like I said, I extensively looked at the monster manual for, for things that were fitting the theme of what I was trying to go for for the class. Fitting the benefit of level two most, like, or like some of them. Not all of them, and all of them have the benefits because there just aren't any in the player's handbook that have those, those levels of play. Those uh those needed benefits to get the uh things such as wrath and giant rat, etc. So alright. Variant, disease giant rat. 
Disease Giant Rat has a challenge rating of 1 8th. And the following action, instead of a normal bite attack, they get a plus 3 to hit. One target taking 1d4 plus 1 piercing damage. If the target is a creature, must succeed on a DC 10 con saving throw or contract a disease. So that's where the whole, if your attacks deal elemental damage or cause diseases, you get a plus 1. And that's not just disease giant rats, right? Other things in this game can cause diseases to you. So they get plus 1 to hit as well. So. And until the disease is cured, the target can't regain hit points except by magical means. When the target's hit point maximum is decreased by 1d6 every 24 hours. Not only are you diseasing creatures, you then cause them to continually take damage until they can cure their disease. If they don't, they're just, they're just dead. If the target's maximum hit point drops to zero as a result of this, the target dies. No saving throws, no nothing. So, you could, this could be used for a role-playing element, right? Let's say that you've captured the, the evil bandit of a group and he's not wanting to reveal who his boss is. You have your disease giant rat bite him and say, You'll keep taking damage every day, bud, until you tell us what it is, and, and then I can give you this antidote. But until you do that, oh, and by the way, if you feel like you're on the cusp of death and you die from this, you just die. You don't knock out, you don't come back, you're just dead. If that doesn't strike fear into an NPC playing, I don't know what is. So, so you can use these creatures for other elements besides just fighting in combat. You can use these for role playing elements, you can use these for other elements and stuff like that, which. I think it's awesome, and that's what I was trying to do with this idea, too. I feel like a lot of fighting games, right, games like Pokemon, where it's like, oh, okay, creatures fight in, like, especially the DS game. The biggest example of this, I can say, right? And that's where um, when Pokemon D&D was a thing, it was great, because you could use them outside of battle for these things. And I tried to harness that with DM told me to originally, right, when we were doing a Pokemon campaign. But now it's just, okay. In those games for the DS, it was a lot of, okay, my Pokemon fights, that's it. Yeah, I can bond with it, but I can't do anything outside of like oh a gems breaking a rock surfing etc fighting that's probably what Pokemon was you had to fight to do things this is dungeons and dragons now we're talking about with the dungeons and dragons creatures right so i wanted to give a lot of these creatures elements that you could use them outside of just fighting that's where like the disease giant rat comes right or you see him with this poisonous snake wrapped around his arm or something you know so that's just where I wanted to have that little tidbit there. So that's that's level two elementary, my dear Watson. You get plus one to hitting with disease attacks and elemental damage attacks of your creatures, as well as giving the enemies a minus one save against being hit by elemental damage from your Oromon. So they then are inhibited. This is the only one that also inhibits something else. If that inhibiting becomes too much, we'll adjust. I just kind of figured a lot of your creatures early game are like, oh, DC 10, for example, Steam Method, right? Oh, DC 10, save. Well, if a creature is a good thing in that save, they're probably saving a lot of the time. Pretty not going to be affected fully. So that's where that comes into play. So, Next one, uh, Oral Spell Connection. At level 6, your connection with the spells from the Oru have enhanced. When drawing a spell for the first time on your turn while you have an Oromon in battle, you may draw an additional card. What that means is you have a creature out. It's fighting stuff. You're in combat. You draw a spell for your card, you draw that turn. If it's a spell, draw an additional card. The first time. So why you don't just fill your deck with spells and go off. But on top of that, in addition to this, your spell card maximum count is increased by two permanently. So. This is more of a spell-focused heavy class instead of a creature. Totally, right? So. Sixth level, your spellcard maximum is three in your deck of 12. Instead, your spellcard maximum of cards you're allowed in your deck goes up to five. 
That does not increase your set deck size of 12. So, that means you now have can put five spells in if you want and have seven creatures. Figure that was a good little tidbit because your class is the Mystic class, like I said, is about AoE controlling spells. So, you're the spell slinger. You're more of like the mage, if you will, compared to the clerics or the fighters of the other classes. That's pretty much it for sixth level. Um, like I said, you just, when drawing a spell for the first turn, while you have an arm on in battle, you may draw an additional card. In addition to this, your spell card maximum count is increased by two permanently. If that becomes two OP mystics, I'm looking at you, playing. If that becomes two OP and I hear from playtesters like, oh man, that's super strong. You have to adjust the mystic class. Being able to have too many spells in their deck is way too strong. They just use spells all the time instead of using their creature attacks and thus are just dominating the battlefield. I might reduce that down to one benefit, or might even just get rid of that altogether. We'll see. I like the, I like the tenth level one. Uh, so you think you can hide? Uh, at tenth level, you feel the connection with the aura floating in all things, and are able to figure out how to use that to your advantage. Once per long rest, you may impose disadvantage on a spell save you cast on a single target. So, what that means, right? You have spells that are AOE effects. So, I'm going to use Cloud Kill for a lot of these examples because that's one I'm guaranteeing that's going to be in the Mystic class. So, I'll show Cloud Kill here for people at home there. Cloud Kill, 5th level Conjuration. You create a 20-foot radius sphere of poisonous yellow-green fog centered on a point you choose within range. The fog spreads around corners, it lasts for the duration, or until a strong wind disperses the fog, ending the spell. Its area is heavily obscured. When a creature enters the spell's area for the first time on a turn, or starts its turn there, that creature must make a con saving throw. The creature takes 5d8 poison damage on a failed save, or half as much damage on a successful one. Creatures are affected even if they hold their breath or don't need to breathe. The fog moves 10 feet away from you at the start of each of your turns, rolling along the surface of the ground. The vapors being heavier than the air sink to the lowest level. Of land even pouring down open. The reason why I talk about cloud kill for mystic, right? Fifth level conjuration. So at that point, right, you're out of the tier of beginnings of, uh, you're out of the tier of the beginnings of creatures, right? So you're beyond the local hero phase of creatures. You're now kind of entered the second level tier of heroes of the realm, right? So you're known as being around here. At fifth to 10 level, you've done some great deed to help protect the area of the people that you're with. Uh, so, using Cloud Kill as an example, right? You casted this AoE, but you can impose disadvantage to one creature on that save. So, instead of them needing a con saving throw compared to whatever your, your stat is of a, being a Mystic Oromancer, you can impose disadvantage to one creature that's in that area, whether it's the enemy's Oromon that they're fighting with, or if it's against wild, a bunch of wild creatures, you can impose disadvantage to one of them make that con save also once per long rest you may double the radius when casting an area of effect mystic spell so cloud kill would be an area of effect right a 20 foot radius sphere anything that doesn't target a creature an area of effect so instead of a 20 foot radius now it's 40 like I said, you're about chaos, and the reason why it's called now you can hide, meaning, oh, or called so you think you can hide. 
So if you're fighting a creatures and they're all 30 feet away from each other, then Cloud Kill's not going to take out a bunch of them. But now if you're 20 foot radius, doubles to a 40 foot radius, and now you have 80 feet diameter for a spell. Oh boy. <laughs> so. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, if Mystic becomes too strong, like I said, we'll just stuff, but I just want to see how this works, man. I just want to be able to get different classes, different play styles of play that they can look forward to. Um, at level 14, a Mystic's Brain Alteration. What does that mean, Ryan? Well, at level 14, you've been able to train your mind as an Auromancer to allow you to focus on more than one aspect of casting spells. Your body, after concentrating on its first spell, will also allow you to cast a second concentration spell. And be able to concentrate on that as well. Now, in D&D, a good number of spells are like, need concentration, such as Cloud Kill. Right, we can use that as our example here. Instead, when your body does this, it will glow a light blue color. You will then have to make two concentration checks if, the aura, if you as the Auromancer take damage like you do if concentrating on one spell. What that means is, right, in Dungeons & Dragons, if you get hit for damage, you then have to roll to see if you keep your concentration. Same thing here, but you have to do it twice, once for each spell. You may to concentrate on two spells here. That is huge. When it comes to roleplay, it's huge when it comes to combat. And you have those additional deck slots. So you getting one of your concentration spells you want is probably pretty good. Um, so we'll see if that becomes too much chaos. But at that point, you're level 14, right? You're on the, you're on the cusp. You're right in the, not on the cusp, but you're in the middle of, from 11 to 16, right, of a master of the realm. You can now concentrate on two spells at once while your creatures are out there fighting. So. Chemical Genius is the last tier of the mystic class path at level 18 you've mastered the arts of using the elements within the oro and have such figured out how to change their chemical composition after you or your oromon has a mystic spell that deals elemental damage you may change the typing of that damage an example would be having the spell cloud kill be made of pure fire. So instead of this ghost, instead of this like gas, yellow green gas, it's just wispy air that's exploded with fire. Instead of poison damage. Elements of spells are, and I put the whole element list there, acid, cold, fire, force, lightning, necrosis, poison, psychic, radiant, and thunder. That way, if you're fighting a creature that is immune to something that your power class guy has been able to tell you like, oh hey, this creature, I didn't, I didn't know this, but this creature here is immune to poison. So your chemical genius, your, uh, your cloud kill will do nothing against that skeleton we talked about earlier, right? But now, you make that fire with all the skeletons goodbye. So, you know, just for perspective on how that looks. So, figure at that point, right, you cast a spell, you then can change this chemical composition, and now deals the type of damage you want to benefit you. So... I was also thinking of possibly doing the idea of having you dual damage, have it be like fire and poison. And I was like, mm -mm, that might be just too much. So with that, um, that is, I think, the finalization of the class path discovery. So right at level one, first level, you pick your class. You then can go into when you're building. And that's nice. Too, when you're building your Oromancer, you then can decide, all right. 
what background will help me the most? Well, okay. I know that usually giants or uh, certain things that are more physically strong than other things have benefits, but you're like, all right, I know that elementals deal elemental damage. So maybe when I'm building my character, I want to be a, say, for me, if you're min max, if you're awesome, it's min maxer, which is totally cool if you are, totally cool if you don't like min maxers, whatever you have for your play style should be determined for your play group by asking your DM, right? Let's say you're like looking at your enhanced backgrounds we talked about last episode and you're like, all right, sage. I want to be a sage because I like elementals. I like things that deal elemental damage, right? And oh, what's the best one for that? Well, it's going to be playing as the mystic because your elements, things that deal elemental damage get a plus one to hit. So if you're mid-max, right, you could be a sage mystic and just cast your spells that are elementals, but they get bonuses. And something to note too, a chemical genius, your Auramon cast mythic spells. Your creatures can cast spells as well. Right? You summon a spell-casting creature. Such as if you summon a witch or a hag or, you know, something along those lines. And those cast a spell that's outside of your school. Well, if you're chemical genius, you then can change that damage into something respectively that you want it to deal. That maybe the power guy told you that the enemy is immune to, you switch it, right? You then tell your hag, like, hey, don't deal this damage. Instead... Your spell that you're casting remains the same damage, actually remains the same check, remains all that, but the damage type, the elemental type of that damage is going to change into your choice. So, what I might do is, um, after talking evaluation, I might make Thine Holy is Thine Weapon and Chemical Genius be a long rest to match that of Pure Power. Uh, because just having those be a constant effect, I think might be a little, a little too much here. So, I think I'll change that right now here. So, uh, 18th level, you mastered this. Oh, yeah, no, I did say once per long rest. For once, for um, Thine Holy is Thine Weapon. I just checked, yeah. It's once per long rest for that. So, for Chemical Genius, I'm going to have that be as well. Um, instead of being just after, I'm going to have it be instead of after. Um, once per long, once per long rest. To, just to match. That way you're not totally abusing that 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 aspect. All right, once per long rest, after you or your Aramon cast a mythic spell that deals elemental damage, you may change the typing of that damage. So. Um, and then after that, so that's all what you get at first level. That's all making your character class path awakening. That's why I wanted to have all that first in the book and then have beyond after all that. Then we go into the whole additional slot. So right at... Uh, fifth level, you got every five level, you got additional slots, right? Or no, um, every, uh, excuse me, um, fifth level, ninth level, thirteenth level, seventeenth level, your deck size increases and your set card maximum increases. So I just wanted to have that, um, then put all that stuff afterwards. That, uh, enhancement, your key cards, your seal breaker, all those stuff we talked about last episode, have those there. Um, I did include in, where was it? And the license? Did I put it there? No. I thought I put somewhere. No, no, I ended up just moving it. Okay. I ended up just moving external summons to something else. I wanted to say, let me check my notes because I have a little notes on stuff I wanted to say. Yeah, so I talked about the changes to the Ormancer table. I added the other class awakening just in summary, right, of what this episode was about. Um, all right. So I made changes to the Oromancer table, like I said. Out of that additional class path awakening, moved external summons up to level 1, so you can summon creatures right out of the gate, um, outside of battle. 
added another class awakening like i said um and i yep, uh, moved around a lot of things so in this document's going to be shifted around a lot of stuff's going to be different than last time but it's hopefully going to be better for mobile viewers if you're a mobile viewer and you let me know in the comments if it looks better um and then class path awakening slash starter decks like i said so we went so this episode we went into the entire class path awakening right so you know if i'm picking power class path now I'm at level one you choose which path of the aura you want to go down which tree which skill tree you will right which tree that you want to go down and you're like all right my power class path i'm going to do these so you'll know okay level six i'll be able to have my Oramon roll two additional dice level 10 I'll be able to, I'll get insight onto the enemies to know, okay, what are they immune to? What, what, what makes them strong? What should I switch out or tell my teammates? Hey, don't cast fire on that. That thing's immune to fire. It doesn't look it, but it's immune to fire. Mystic, you better switch out, you know? Or if you want to be the Celestial and be like, all right, team, I'm here to heal you up. Buff up your AC. Ooh. Listen, I know your thing. Really strong unit, but its AC's weak. What if you made its AC stronger? And then that thing just becomes an absolute powerhouse. No. Um or you're mystic and you're like, all right, I know we're gonna be like let's say let's say DMs you're playing a campaign where it's like a war between different races and creatures in the world, and your your oromancers that you are is a special battalion of of heroes that are going out and they have to go battle against they have to try to make it to a certain location to move your army's advancements forward. So your group plays as a few mystic class path wizards that they can be able to cast spells like cloud kill and things in areas to blow up just bunch of goblins they make rolls to see if any of them get the cards from them the cards come shooting at them and then they can play goblins and in their own decks to maybe be infiltrators to go against the goblin army because now you control those creatures right if you make so for that campaign the mini idea i was just talking about right let's say you're in that war battle campaign you blow up a lot of the enemies and you have they happen to drop their cards for you to use you then put this one of your key cards and have that buddy be an infiltrator into the enemy group and then maybe you and dm and a few players all have Goblins now that are the infiltrators into the enemy lines as creatures with you guys as the Oromancers. Maybe you guys cast in, somebody cast invisibility from your group on you guys to protect you while you're watching your key card goblins now go be infiltrators into the enemy base. Maybe they set up devices rigging to explode or something. And that could just be great role play elements as well as combat, right? Just as an idea for how that this whole idea of this CCG and D&D works, right? Um, they're calling it now uh, Oromon, the C uh, Oromon, a CCG inside of D&D. And CCG could be collectible card game. It could be creature capture game. It could be a bunch of different things. Whatever you want it to mean um, of D&D. So with that, that's the update I have for this week. Um, I can't guarantee what next week will be. I, I have to decide, right? I have to, and this is where you guys, again, as viewers, let me know down below or in the Discord what you're thinking. Number one. Which class path do you want to play as? If you could pick one to play as, what seems interesting up your alley? Are you the damage dealer of the power class? Are you the supportive celestial class? Are you just the outright chaotic spell slinging mystic class? What are, what are you as as a listener excited about? What would you want to try in your play group? Just so I can like gauge and see what what's strong, what's cool. What do you guys like? You know, um, and then also let me know too. Um, if you want to see, and this is where I'll look at what you guys say, and ultimately I'll gauge what I would I have um, time to do, right? Do I, I have different avenues I can take. I could make the next section of the book be about battle mechanics. Describe how a battle starts, how things go off, what to expect from a fight, how things work in the game, um, which could be cool. Describe the deck rolling, the fighting, the combat inside, outside of battle, and all else on the Discord. I've been talking about that 
for the past few weeks now. Um, I could go into developmenting of releasing these spell lists for each of the classes, and I go into depth talking about why each spell is assigned to a class, and hopefully that's not broken. We talk about that for an episode. I could go into card pack making and distribution, which I would need to have the spells made already for that, but then talk about different card pack ideas. Um, I can't guarantee if this will be up when the video goes up, but I'm hoping to hopefully start to get a Patreon established for DM Told Me Too, just because on top of me going to school and work like everybody else, I'm also doing this, I mean, for fun, but also, you know, and that way we could potentially unlock tiers to have appear in the book. We want to have a fourth class path be the Dark Oromancer, and they don't get benefits or anything here, and they have their own custom list of spells that they use, and they get bonus benefits to shadow-like creatures or creatures that are evil to almost counteract the celestial class path and they have their own special spells that they use and things maybe that could be a tier that's unlocked in the patreon have enough support then i make the fourth spell in the class list path here be somebody who plays a dark auromancer that's all about evil and corruption and maybe they hurt their own creatures for huge benefits to them or something i don't know that's just a few ideas i've been flowing around also i'm probably gonna make a patreon tier where if you're in that tier and you're there for during my months and times you can potentially have your own creature enter this uh, enter this playbook. Um, obviously, me and you will talk about it and figure out if that creature's too OP, what we want to do with it. Um, have you have those creatures have evolutions that they're similar? Where it's like, oh, you know, Ryan, I've drawn my... And this is where it's kind of like, I would prefer if you have an idea for a creature, maybe you find the own image, or I could find the image. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, it depends on what you want. But Or if even if you're like, oh, I drew this creature that I really liked in a fantasy game that I played with my friends, and I could add that incorporate here, and you and I talk about it, and then... If you could see your own creature in the book someday for people to play as and use and cast from the cards and be able to collect and fight with, you know? So that might be a tier in the Patreon too, being its own creature creation tier or something, you know? So I'm going to be updating the Patreon um, for this now, switching away from our old campaign idea into this new Oromon project idea. So hopefully if you have a couple extra dollars every month and you're like, listen, I want to support this project. I think what you're doing, Ryan, is awesome and I want you to keep going good and I want to be able to unlock benefits for this. And we could use that to potentially, right, if you reach certain tiers, be like, all right, we reach that tier on Patreon, Volvo expansion for Volvo's Guide to Monsters. That's over there. Or, oh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. I want to now incorporate those spells and those mechanics into this game. And so that way it's away from just the basic player's handbook and it incorporates eventually all of D&D. <laughs> but... Like I said, that is going to take time. That's going to take effort on my part. And as you guys are creating stuff as well, too, maybe we unlock a tier eventually on the Patreon that could allow me to make cards with pictures of all the creatures and their evolutions. Because these creatures, you have to remember, I'm going to make evolutions with special abilities and mechanics as well. That'll hopefully help you fight in stuff you can encounter in the wild. And DMs could throw at you an evolution of a creature and have it drop its basic card for you to collect, you know? So... Hopefully all these sound like cool ideas from you guys. And with that, um, I've done enough talking. But I wanted to say too, this episode should go up the day that I wanted to. Um, hopefully you guys have had a happy Easter. You know, hopefully if you have kids at home, hopefully you've been able to have a good morning with them. Um, even if you're not somebody that has any children and you're a child yourself, hopefully you've had a good Easter as well. Maybe collect a few candy, collect eggs with candy in them, or have been able to just spend time with family. It's ultimately like, you know, holidays are, especially now with COVID and everything going on, holidays are just so important. Even if it's just calling up, a grandparent or a family member or even just a friend that's far away that you haven't talked to in a while. That can mean a world of difference to somebody, especially if they're going through a hard time. So anyway, with that being said, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this update on to the in-depths of what each class path is for the game so far. And like I said, 
if we if i set the patreon and we unlock more tiers for that i can make more tiers for this to go in and we can have special ideas for new classes and whatnot and that could be really cool so with that being said i will hopefully be able to catch you guys next week for the next update and with that like i said take care with everything guys